Well, welcome to Pet Chat on 2NURFM. Greg Richard joined by Cheryl Shaw and Dr. Kimberly Earl. Nice to be here with you both. It's, I don't think I've been with Pet Chat for a while. No, no I don't think so. It's, it's nice good. to be here. Feels like years. What have you got lined up for us today? Uh, we're going to have a chat about um, some diseases in birds and we're going to answer somebody's question um, that they've emailed in to us and I don't know, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. Winter topics. Good. And we've got Kylie from Adamstown. Now, her dog's just been to sex and it was anxious, now it's calm. Hi, Kylie. Tell me about your dog. So, he was to sex later in life. He's a Ridgeback, a Staffy Cross Ridgeback. Yep. Um, and like before he got to sex, he would, he would hide under tables and run up and down the hallway when storms were happening. He'd salivate everywhere. He would just be absolutely beside himself. And then when he got to sex, it's like it's just disappeared. Storms don't worry me anymore. I'm going to sleep through them. Okay. And how long ago did he have his surgery? I uh, had his surgery um, about a year ago. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, um, listen, certainly taking the influence of the testosterone, the hormones away, sometimes will settle some dogs. It's one of the reasons um, that we sometimes recommend desexing dogs if they're showing um, aggression and things like that. Um, it sounds like your dog has had a very marked response, and that's not typical because uh, I wouldn't normally expect an anxious dog to be less anxious. Um but, you know, there, there will be some sort of hormonal change, I'd imagine, that has influenced that. Um, or, you know, it's hard to say, maybe just as he's getting older and maturing, he doesn't care as much. Maybe his hearing is not um, as good anymore. He's not an old dog yet, but it's possible that he could be having some, um, you know, early hearing loss. So things like storms might be less effective, although we know it's not just the sounds of storms that, um, that get them going. Um, your note here, or the note here, also said that he's chewing on his paws. Did he do that oh, no, before? That, that's my other fellow. Oh, that's your other fellow. Okay. <laughs> <A little> fella. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, he he um he's he just constantly like I'm. Well, I stop chewing your foot, stop chewing your foot. Yeah. I was just wondering why he might do that. Yeah, well, so because often they have a little infection in the skin there, um, and sometimes they'll need some um, some treatment, some antibiotics or some medicated shampoos or something like that. Um, we will certainly see dogs that will sometimes use um, foot sucking or foot chewing as an appeasement behavior if they're anxious as well. Um, at this time of year, we get a lot of dogs that will get a bit of mild, um, you know, sort of yeast or bacterial infection on the skin because the ground is so wet, particularly oh, this okay, year. Yeah. The ground is wet and the feet um, you know stay nice and warm and they stay moist and it's hard to get them to dry out so you get uh, a lot of overgrowth of organisms there so if you're worried about it and particularly if you look at the feet and the feet are red um, then it's worthwhile a trip into your local vet to have a bit of a, a chat with them about it sure thanks so okay. much for that you're very welcome no worries have a good afternoon bye cheers thanks Kylie it's Pet Chat on 2NURFM you've got a question for 921-6216 we might talk about that bird issue um, yeah so we've had a caller call in now she um, it says she is being treated for psittacosis um, so psittacosis is a, um, a bacterial disease that we can get from birds the actual bacteria is um, it's in the chlamydia psittaci family it's not the same as what we were talking about before um, it's, it's a respiratory chlamydia it doesn't cause any problems anywhere else except the respiratory tract in humans and in birds um, and so this um, caller is looking um, to know whether she needs to treat her birds so she's got two cockatiels um, they fly around the house it sounds like there's other um, people in the household and so our answer to that would be yes definitely the cockatiels need to be seen by a veterinarian and they need to be treated because cockatiels are one of our main species that can harbour this bacteria as a 
dormant infection. And we know that that bacteria can hide inside the body, usually in the spleen and the liver of the bird, for, for years sometimes, two to three years. Um, and then they can intermittently shed it through their feces um, and their feather dander and things like that. They can intermittently shed it. So even though she's being treated for the disease at the moment, she will probably get better. But if the birds start to shed it again, she'll get it again. She won't get any immunity um, from it. And it puts everybody else in her house at risk. Um, and the question has asked about um, whether or not she can try the Aristopet oral antibiotics for ornamental birds. Unfortunately, the answer to that is no, um, because it's a very specific antibiotic that we need to treat um, psittacosis with uh, and it needs to be treated for a minimum of 45 days so our recommendation would always be go to your local veterinarian have a discussion with them particularly if you've had a diagnosis yourself from a doctor um, and get yourself treated get the birds treated um, and make sure that we're sort of mopping that up because we don't want to have that reoccurring infection in most humans it causes flu-like symptoms or just sort of some um, respiratory stuff but um, humans have died from this infection so it's really worthwhile um, you know if you have sick birds or if you've got birds in the house and you've got respiratory or flu signs that aren't going away um, go and get yourself checked out and let the doctor know that you've got birds in the house there's a test they can do for it so um, it's definitely really important information especially you don't want that to be recycling around no and people who are immunocompromised so young children um, really elderly people anybody undergoing um, chemotherapy pregnant women um, pregnant women are particularly susceptible unfortunately um, or HIV um, AIDS treatment anything that's not going to have a really robust infection those are the people who unfortunately are going to be at risk of having a much more severe disease so definitely worthwhile getting the birds into a vet and getting um, getting some treatment sorted for them all right We've got Mel from Arcadia Vale. She's got a 10-year-old cavoodle. It has anxiety and she wants to know what can help to be done with this. Hi, Mel. Mel, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. So tell us a little bit about your dog. Has your dog always had anxiety or just recently? Um, no, he's only um, he's, have, he's always had separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, probably the last year or so, he started doing this funny little behaviour where he'd sort of go into the corner of a room and like he'd sort of scratch a bit. And, and have a bit, yeah, like it was quite weird behaviour. And then about six months ago, we had an incident. We had a whole lot of tradies in painting the house and he really had a meltdown. He ended up at the vets and um, he got put on some medication for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that seemed to, the vet said, look, it should be right just for a few months. He, he put it down to the fact that everything he knew was covered and all these normal smells were, that's what put him out of whack with all the tradies there. Um, but he's, I've just noticed he's recently started back up again. This is probably six months down the track. Um, we did have a lot of visitors on the weekend. I don't know whether that affected mm, him, but yeah. he, he went in, he just goes into a room and just um, scratches in, in the corner. Like yeah, he's, like he's digging. Yeah. Digging to China. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you can't, not, yep. nothing I can do can stop him. Stop it. Okay. Even yeah. if I take him out for a walk, he'll come back and he'll, he'll do it. Sure. And yeah, I mean, it's distressing. Yeah. So unfortunately, like anxiety is one of these things that um, for dogs who are predisposed to it or who have had it in the past, that it tends to get worse with age, not better. Um, And so, you know, a 10 year old dog is certainly in his senior years. Um, It's unlikely that he's going to spontaneously resolve that. If you had good success while he was on the medications, it's probably worthwhile thinking about putting him back onto them um, because, you know, he's he's clearly 
showing signs of not coping with, you know, normal day-to-day life stresses. Um, Piled on top of that is the fact that a lot of these older dogs will start to develop signs of canine cognitive uh, dysfunction or or dementia. You know, doggy dementia is a real thing. Um, And we'll see sometimes where they're, you know, less settled in their home, that they are not sleeping as well. You know, often these dogs will sleep through the day, but they're restless and pacing at night. Sometimes they start to lose their toileting. Sometimes they're less interactive with the family members. Um, And it's hard to say, you know, what has triggered all that. Um, Certainly having, you know, a stressful event like having builders in or or even, you know, an overly full house if you had um, guests in, that can be, um, you know, quite challenging for a dog who's already sort of just on the border. Um, so yeah, I would I would maybe have a chat with your do- your vet again about maybe restarting some of the anti anxiety medications. The other sorts of things you can do would be to. Um, uh, like use things like the pheromone therapies, the adaptal collars and adaptal diffusers. That can be really helpful. Yeah, we Make- did try the collar. Yeah. Um- that didn't seem to be too successful. Yeah, um, making sure he's yeah. got a nice safe place. Like, you know, even if yeah. he's never been crate trained before, but sometimes offering them a nice um, enclosed dark space that they can, you know, be, feel really safe, that nobody bothers them in, that they're, um, you know, th- they can feel secure there. That can be really helpful as well. Yeah, that was one thing I was wondering whether it was too late to try that with the... A- Great. It's never too. It's never too late. There's some really good resources online about how to um, crate train and how to like. You don't want to traumatize the dog just by locking him in the crate and go here you go. Um, so yeah. you know, having it in an area of the house initially that um, that's familiar that everybody's in, and you know, start maybe doing things like feeding treats or just feeding his meals so he gets used to that. And then once he's transitioned um, to to feeling like he's safe in that spot, then putting it into a, a place where he learns that okay, this is my private space. If I just need to be by myself and and calm and quiet and dark, then I can go in here. Um, So just take it really slow. Okay, perfect. Yeah, okay. Thank thank you so much. Thank you. Great, bye. We've got Sam from Singleton, and his daughter's got a a macaw parrot? Macaw, yep. Macaw, spot on. And it's got, apparently it's got a bit of a cough. Hi, Sam, what can we help you with? Uh, yeah, my daughter has a macaw, yep. and she's had, and my daughter's actually had a bit of a cough on her chest for a good while. She's been to the doctors, yep. and as they said, it's a viral thing. Yep. Not a lot they can do. Sure. But I, I just asked that information and talking earlier on about the uh, birds. And, yeah, sure, uh, about psittacosis. Like yeah. So luckily, um, it's it's certainly still possible. We absolutely um, do see psittacosis um, or chlamydia in infection in uh, macaws. Um, they tend to get quite sick with it, though. Unlike, um, you know, some of our, like our cockatiels and budgies, lovebirds, those are birds that can look pretty normal um, and but still be shedding the bacteria. But usually when a macaw has it, um, they're fairly sick. So now your notes here say, or the, the message here says that um, the macaw does have a cough and that your daughter, if she's got no, a cough no, too... No, it's just my daughter. Oh, just the uh, daughter has a cough. Okay, yeah. Put the two together so if the bird is well, it's yeah. unlikely like um, it. yeah. that the bird has chlamydia. But there are tests that can be done. They're not perfect. The test in humans is relatively easy. The test in birds is not as straightforward um, to actually get a positive test. So we will sometimes send off a PCR test on a bird that we're like 98% sure has chlamydial infection um, and we'll still get a negative PCR. And it's actually 
actually because of that fact that it can lie dormant, it can be actually quite hard to get it to um, to be shedding and, and get a positive um, test that way. But it, it reacts really differently in different species. And so macaws with chlamydia are usually pretty sick birds. Um, and they actually will not uncommonly die from it if it's not um, treated fairly early. Macaws and eclectus parrots um, sometimes will just fall off the perch dead. And when we do, you know, pathology on them, um, the pathologist yeah, will tell us yeah. that this bird's had a had a chlamydial infection. So, um, so it's much more likely um, that your daughter actually does have a viral cough. Um, but it's something for people who you know who do have birds around um, just to be on the lookout for, particularly if the if the symptoms that they're having aren't sort of resolving. But you know, post viral coughs in humans they can last for a number of weeks. So as long as she's not yeah. fever, feverish and chilled and things like that, um, and the birds well, it's unlikely to be chlamydial infection. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Merlin's um, actually well, but I will ring her again today just to check. That's right, yeah. And and she can always go to her GP and say, can you specifically test me for psittacosis? Um, Because, you know, it's like I said, it's a much more straightforward test in humans than it is in birds. So it's actually called psittacosis. Yeah, the disease. So the the bacteria is called chlamydia psittaci, and humans and birds get the same bacteria. But the disease in humans is called psittacosis. Okay. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. All right, we'll follow that through. Yeah. Great. Thanks no very much. For Thank that. you, Thank Sam. You. Bye. 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 David from Tea Gardens. He's got a twelve-year-old Staffy who has fits and anxiety, and it started two hours after a vaccination. Well, David. Hello. Thank you for taking me call. You're very welcome. So tell me about your Steffi. When you say it has fits and anxiety, does that mean that it actually had a seizure? Well, it's, it's sort of like a seizure. He's sort of home but not home. But, yeah, you can't snap him out of it. He's, he he get, tries to get on your lap and shakes violently from head to toe. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, got a, we've started him on a puppy Prozac about a week ago, but he's Good. been on an anxiety medicine for probably three weeks. Yeah. He had a um, he had a, a mild infection in his ear, like a yeast infection, and we treated that with drops. At the same time, he got his vaccination for the new rat virus. Oh, back. yes, the leptospirosis, yep. And um, two and a half hours after that, we didn't get our dog back. I don't know what happened to him. He, um, he's been shaking ever since. The mm. vet is beautiful up here. She's tried everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they took a culture. Uh, they're growing that in the lab for for the um, infection in his ear. Yeah. I want to do, you know, he's my best mate. Yeah, and so prior to that time, he was totally fine. Yeah, he was yeah. With, very healthy, good dog down there. Like he's he's very fit. He's got the proper diet. He's walked and yeah, yeah. But, and um, has the ear infection resolved, or is he still dealing with the ear infection? No, um, they can't find anything too bad in his ears okay. anymore. Yeah. Hmm. And doesn't he's not shaking his head or anything like that. Yeah, just shaking himself. So it's a really hard one because I mean it looks like there's a um, a temporal association, you know, time wise in terms of when that um, sort of shaking and stuff started um, with the vaccination. Was that his first leptospirosis vaccination, or was that a booster shot? That was his first. His first one. Last, yeah. yeah. Listen, yeah, I mean, it's not something we've been we've been vaccinating dozens of dogs um, against leptospirosis and haven't certainly seen any of that, you know, anything sort of respond like that. Whether or not, um, 
you know, between the ear infection and the trip down in, he's, you know, developed a bit of a, um, like a trauma, like a, um, you know, almost like a PTSD or something like that. But if he's actually seizuring, I mean, that, something to do with the ear would be more likely to cause an actual seizure if he's really sort of not, you know, sort of not with it. Um, I, I thought it'd have to be neurological. It's, it's yeah, he's always been a bit quicky, you know, like yeah. most. Uh, but he'll still go and um, bark at the lightning and try and fight that. But yeah, yeah um, but he'll shake at the barbecue night or something. Yeah, you know? something funny like that. Yeah, I mean, staffies are a prone um, breed for anxiety. It's a really, really common thing. And again, he's sort of in his senior years, and so. Um, you know, we don't like to sort of talk about like he's shaking a screw loose and things like that, but maybe, you know, that little bit of extra stress and anxiety and between the injection and the visit and the ear infection, you know, he's, he's just sort of worked himself up into a state that he's having a hard time. But, you know, I guess these things, they're never, they're never, um, super easy. They can be really frustrating. I think just keep working with your veterinarian and, um, you know, lots of open communication about how the dog's going. Um, and sounds like, you know, you're on the right track starting some some medications and stuff for them. those anxiety medications they'll often take you know four to six weeks before they really um, start to, to show a significant effect so you're only early on in the process and I would just you know persist with it and um, and hopefully you guys working together with your vet will be able to find something that um, that brings your little buddy back to to a more sort of settled state for you oh that'll be great yeah, yeah. okay yeah yep okay thank all right you so much thanks David all. Cheers, thanks, David. We had Luke from Newcastle on the line before, but he seemed to have dropped out. But he had a two-year-old dog that wants to hump other dogs everywhere in the park. <laughs> how to, work to it, stop how, this. how can we stop it? <laughs> yeah, so um, it's a few different things, you know. I guess, like, we all look at, at that and go, oh, he's trying to, you know, do something naughty. But for dogs, it's really um, a way of interaction uh, and for them to try to work out sort of who the top dog is in this particular situation. Um, it, it is actually, uh, you know, a bit of a socialization. We often see younger dogs doing it more often than older dogs, but sometimes you'll get the older dog in who's trying to put the younger dog in their place um, and they'll reverse. Um, it has nothing to do with, you know, most of the time, I should say, most of the time, it has nothing to do with actually making puppies and things yeah. like that. It's really just a behavioral sort of thing. Now that's like, there are the situations and if it's a desexed, or if it's a non-desexed dog, if it's an entire dog, then I would definitely recommend um, desexing in that circumstance. Um, but a lot of the times it's just really how dogs are sort of going about and exploring like which dog in this situation. We, we don't talk about um, hierarchies very much in dogs anymore, but in certain situations, you'll have one dog who's sort of trying to to be the boss over the other dog, um, and that's sometimes just how they play. And um, and girls will do it to girls, and boys will do it to boys, and it's really just how they're interacting with each other and and trying to work out which is the more um, sort of dominant dog in that play situation. So as long as it's playful, um, as long as the dog is um, desexed, then it's unlikely to be a problem. Um, you know, he's asking how to stop it um you might not need to stop it you know i think if it's a dog doing it to a human that's a little bit more um unattractive yep. i know that my golden retriever who's now 29 kilos will occasionally try to get one over on my daughter and will try to jump up on her and do the same sort of thing but that's really the dog trying to sort of say actually 
you know, I'm going to see if I can actually slot myself in this family situation above above this small child. Yeah. So um, the daughter, my daughter's only about 33 kilos. So they're fairly similar body weight. So, <laughs> so, um, so that's what's Still. happening there. So we definitely want to stop it if it's happening to people. Um, but as long as it's friendly and the dogs are, often they're going back and forth and, and doing a little bit here and there. It's yeah. not a major drama. And it's really just a, um, you know, how one of the ways dogs sort of work out social cues and things. So... I suppose if we're in parks, they're going to be running into other dogs as well. So they are, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, I mean, you'll certainly sometimes see where there's one dog who's really like sort of trying to bully all the other dogs and is constantly the dog who's on the top trying to hump yeah. everybody else. Um, and, you know, that that's probably a dog who's just, you know, not very socially aware of what's happening around him. He's not sort of playing very nicely with others. He's the literally the playground bully, so... Um, but for the most part, it's not too problematic. We've got time for one more call today, and it's Leslie from Newcastle, and she's got a four-year-old dog that has sudden mood swings from going friendly to snapping when meeting other dogs. Hi, Leslie. Is this a oh, new hello. a new thing for your dog, or it's been going on for a while? Um, oh, it's been going on for about three months. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, usually when we see a dog who... Um, you know, approaches another dog and they're all tail wags and they look happy and then suddenly they're sort of snapping at them. It means that they've sort of maxed out their comfort level um, about, you know, what they're willing to tolerate in terms of closeness and things like that. And it may be that um, they're not able to read the signals from the other dog very well or they're not liking the signals that they're getting from the other dog. Um, It might be that they were really gung-ho and then they got worried as they got closer and went, oh, actually, this was a bad plan. I should not have done this. Um, And so then in, in a attempt to protect themselves and they sort of become snappy um so it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean your dog doesn't like other dogs just that it might be that in that particular situation or with that particular dog um they're not feeling very comfortable so we would usually recommend um you know sort of backing away and trying to give the dogs more space um not necessarily giving up on it but just giving more space so that they can take a step back and and start to get to know each other a little bit more um, where they're not so close. Um, And it can often be really influenced by what else is happening um, nearby. Are there other kids around? Are there, you know, people? Is there noises? Is there um, a lot of different, you know, sort of things that's exciting? Um, And so we want to try to introduce the dogs in a calm way. So trying to, um, you know, get your dog sort of close, but not close enough to touch, and then try to refocus the um, that dog's attention on you with some treats and not on the dog so that we're just um, building a positive association between being in close proximity with that dog, not necessarily interacting with the dog, but being in close proximity proximity but focusing on you and then you can start to slowly move a little bit closer and what you're trying to do is to get your dog to remain calm so that they can um, sort of be um, uh, a little bit more careful about their approach so that they don't sort of go in too strong and, and get the wrong signals or so that they can see that the dog's not coming on too strong to them so it's it's a time thing um, you know take take a step back and just go really slow Okay. okay, I understand. Yeah, a little bit difficult down at the dog beach because often she's off lead. Yes, yeah. Um, it, but it happens on lead or off lead. Yeah. Uh, where she's uh, happy, happy and... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those those dogs are definitely hard when they're off leash because um, you don't have control of your dog and you don't have control of other people's dog. And so if your dog happens to be the one that's a little bit more anxious, you don't have control of it might be a very friendly dog that comes barreling at your dog, but your dog doesn't necessarily know that and so her her attempt is to protect herself. So, yeah, just be really careful off leash. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank, thank you very much for your time. Very welcome. Thanks. Bye. Well, that is all I've got for Pet Chat this week. Thanks for letting me drop in with you this week, guys. No worries. Nice to see you. Appreciate it, and we'll catch you again next Wednesday. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.